Good morning. Hey, we're on. Woo. Uh, good to see you. I hope you're all well. It is my privilege this morning to continue with our series in the Psalms, a series called Teach Us to Pray. And I know many of you, because I've had a few conversations with you, have been loving this series, this well-loved book of songs, and kind of the whole range and the scope of it. Um, I just want to mention this book. James plugged it last week. My Rock and My Refuge, it's Tim Keller with his wife, Kathy. It's a devotional book through the Psalms, and I really recommend it. We sold out last week, um, but Melinda's been able to get a whole load of new copies in. So those would be available um, to buy at the end of the meeting if you're interested. So just recommend that. This morning, we are going to be in Psalm 119. Woo! And so if you could turn there in your Bibles, later on it will come up on the screen behind me. James kicked off this series in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 started in verse 1 with, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who walks not in the way of sinners or in the seat of scoffers. It outlined at the beginning how a man is not to walk if you're to be blessed. And then in verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now the psalm we're going to be looking at today, Psalm 119, beautifully develops those, those verses from Psalm 1. It, it really um, builds on those themes from that opening psalm. It starts with the word blessed. So Psalm 119 starts with the word blessed and then you get blessed again in the second verse. So before we kind of get into it, I just want to talk about being blessed for a few minutes. Um, we use the word blessed in a lot of variety of ways. Um, this week, I was walking down the alleyway down there and passed a stranger who sneezed, and I said, bless you, and they said, thank you. Or we see cute things, and we go, oh, bless. Or we patronize people by going, bless. You know, we use it in loads of different ways. And in fact, on social media, hashtag blessed is a bit of a thing and has been for a few years. You can see lots of people on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter who are blessed. So let's give some examples. It's really interesting. Unexpected raise, hashtag blessed. Um, amazing holiday with friends, hashtag blessed. Beautiful family, hashtag blessed. Amazing extension on the back of the house, hashtag blessed. In fact, there was a real craze for this hashtag a couple of years ago. And in fact, it became dubbed as the humble brag because basically it's a way of bragging about your life but trying to appear like you're being humble. So much so that the New York Times actually said, there's nothing quite like invoking holiness as a way to brag about your life, which I thought was quite a good way to kind of explain it. It does raise an interesting question for us as we look at the Psalms, as we look at Scripture. For believers, is the blessed life sort of synonymous with a successful life? Is it living the Christian version of the good life? Loving family, trusted friends, obedient children, healthy body. Is this what it means to be blessed? And if so, when disappointments come, when pain comes, does that mean that we are no longer recipients of blessing? I don't think I've ever read a post that said, persecuted and under trial today, hashtag blessed. Not sure I've ever read that. But the Bible has a lot to say about blessing, and we're going to take a very quick look. Hopefully the verses will appear behind me. Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Deuteronomy 28 verse 2, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord. Jeremiah 17, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And Luke 11, blessed rather are those who hear the word of the Lord and keep it. That was Jesus saying that. So scripture says something quite different. Scripture says that being blessed is what God does for us to make us fully reliant on him. That's the picture we get. Blessed, you know, there's a word if we're going to define it, is about being made holy. So experiences that we go through and seasons of life, when we talk about blessings, we're talking about those things that God is allowing and doing that helps us to relinquish the temporal, the earthly stuff that we can get so fixated on and grasp hold of the eternal things that he's done for us, hold more tightly to those spiritual realities. And so that's why throughout scripture we get this close connection between being blessed and trial and obedience and trust. God's greatest blessings always rest in God himself. And so when we look at Psalm 119, which we're about to do, it's like we see this huge billboard and it's saying, come this way for blessing. And we need to pay attention to it. I want you to consider this morning this question, am I one who is blessed? The psalm is not just the longest psalm, 119, so... Thanks for whoever organised this uh, teaching road. It's 176 verses. I don't think I can even read them all out in the time that I've got. Um, But it's actually longer than 29 of the 66 books of the Bible. It's not just long, it's intricate. It's incredibly well planned. Lots of the Psalms that we've been learning about, or the Psalms that we read, they're like these outpourings of the heart. And, and, And C.S. Lewis said that this is not and does not pretend to be that. It is a pattern a thing done like embroidery, stitch by stitch through long, quiet hours of love for the subject and for the delight in leisurely, disciplined craftsmanship. And the reason that it's long and intricate is it's an acrostic poem, which some of you may have known, some of you may not have done. So the reason it has 176 verses exactly is because the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. And the psalmist, and you can see that breakdown in your Bible as you look at it, The psalmist takes each letter of the Hebrew alphabet and writes eight verses that start each of those verses with that letter. And that's something that that sort of intricacy and detail is somewhat lost for us in translation. It's one of the most amazing poems ever written. It's all to do with loving God's word. And when you write a psalm in the manner that this person has, you know, with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, you know, intricately planning, it's like you're saying the word of God is precious in every way, the A to Z almost of perfection. We don't actually know who wrote this psalm, but we do know it was written by someone who'd fallen in love with the word of God. We're just going to focus on the first 18 verses this morning. 
So with that in mind, let's read the first eight verses. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, that I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. There we go. The way of blessing. There are eight different ways, if you look at those verses, that the singer of the psalm um, refers to scripture, actually six in those eight verses, and he uses two later on. So let's look at them. He uses the word law and testimonies and precepts, statutes, commandments, righteous rules. And in the next section, he refers to your word, and later on he refers to um, your promises. Now, these words are used frequently throughout this psalm, and they're used sort of interchangeably. They're used to collectively to refer to Scripture, the revelation of God through his word. And these words, importantly, they're covenant words. God said to the Hebrew people, we heard some of that in worship, God said to the Hebrew people, you know, I will be your God, you will be my people. You're my people, I'm your God. There's a relationship there. And as such, the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, were the recipients of the the revelation of God, the self-revelation of who God is and what his purposes were on earth. And then that started in the Torah and then continued throughout Scripture as God breathed into his word. Now, if I'm being really honest, I love Psalm 119, but I, in the past, haven't warmed especially to these first eight verses because these verses talk about doing no wrong, being blameless, being diligent, having an upright heart, and they seem a little bit legalistic to me. Well, they did. But out of reach for mere mortals... I felt a sense of inadequacy, if I'm honest, as I've read them. How is it possible for someone to be blameless? Is that actually possible? And if this guy is blameless, I'm slightly irritated with him. If he can actually say, I do no wrong, there's like a smug element to it that makes me like, I know I shouldn't, but I kind of feel annoyed with you. It's almost like a kid at school who takes the rule book to the headmaster and says, I love your rules, just autograph this book for me. You know, it's like, a little bit. But I just want to urge us today not to be distant from this psalmist. He's not claiming perfection. Blameless in the Bible doesn't mean perfect and it doesn't mean sinless because it's used in other places like Luke 1 where Zachariah and Elizabeth are referred to as being blameless and in scripture it's referring to to people who walk before God with and where the outside is the same as the inside there's an integrity to them like how they behave reflects who they are like and so there's integrity there the writer of this psalm actually in that last verse if you want to skip there verse 176 I have gone astray like a lost sheep. He knew what it was to fall short. We shouldn't be distant from him. He's got a lot to teach us. And we don't need to be perfect to be blessed. So what is the key? Let's look again, those eight verses. You know, when we're so so struck by this, the, the emphasis on our actions. Verse one, walk in the law. Verse two, observe his testimonies. Verse two, again, seek him 
Verse three, do no unrighteousness. Verse four, walk in his ways. Verse five, keep your statutes. Verse seven, give thanks. And again, verse eight, keep your statutes. There's a lot here about our activity, our actions. And maybe that's also why these verses don't appear in my top 10 Bible verses, because I prefer verses that are much more about what God does for me than about what I need to do. That's not a problem. It is right that we love truth about who God is and what he's done for us. We certainly should revel in the wonders of what he's done. And that's why Ephesians 1 makes my top 10 favourite verses. I'm just going to look at them now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We are blessed. You are blessed. It's so clear because of God's glorious grace. We are blessed because we are in Christ. Again, we heard that through our worship. His blood has redeemed us and has washed us clean. We are clean in the eyes of God because of Christ, holy, righteous ones. And when we're talking about being made holy, we are talking about the cross, Jesus' work on the cross and then his resurrection power. And this is what theologians talk about, positional holiness, God imputes the perfect righteousness of Christ onto us in exchange for our mess and our sin. And so that saved individual, us, on the basis of saving faith, have put our trust in Jesus, in what he did on the cross and in the empty tomb. So that is positional holiness. It's who we are in Christ. It's we are justified by faith. We are saved. That's what we're talking about. But what about our psalmist? going to look again into this psalm at verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Because this singer speaks about promise, he speaks of Christ. The covenant with Israel was only possible because of the Christ to come. And all the promises we know find their yes and amen in Christ. So when we're reading the Psalms or scriptures from the Old Testament, when a man or a woman put their trust in the promises of God, they believed in God and his promises, they are in effect believing in the Christ to come. So these Psalms, as we read them, are sung by Israel before Christ in anticipation of the saviour that would come, of Christ to come. And we pray or sing these psalms now in anticipation of Christ to come again. I love that verse um, in Christ alone when he says, and when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. Like that's what's to come. And in that moment when we are standing before Christ, it's about being glorified, the glorification. We are free from the presence of sin. You know, salvation and being justified means you are free from the penalty of sin. 
And in that moment when we stand before him, we are free from the presence of sin. And how, how our future looks, that glorious future, determines how we walk today, right? So we've got this glorious future when we're going to be saved from the, the, the presence of sin. And as we walk, we continue to be saved, and this is really important for this psalm, from the power of sin in our life today. The psalm affirms the biblical message about blessing, and it's this. Blessing comes in a walk. God's activity in us to make us become fully reliant on him comes in a walk. It's as we walk. So blessing is not just about resting in a status. It's about walking a walk, and not just any walk. It comes in a particular way, a way not defined by what culture says, or what other people say, what our circumstances say, or even what our past says, but a way defined by the Word of God, brought to life in us by the Holy Spirit. That is the way of blessing, and we see it in this psalm. Eugene Peterson once wrote wrote rather soberly in a long obedience in the same direction. That was the name of his book. It is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel, It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly, but it loses its novelty and it goes on the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world, but little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. The Psalms testify to a long apprenticeship in holiness. They teach us some stuff. They teach us that God owns all things, has a purpose for all things, and on him all things depend absolutely. And he is the owner of the world. They teach us that God has a right to do with us as he pleases. And what pleases him? What is it? It's the fulfillment of his purpose to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. And therefore the overarching purpose of our lives is not to be comfortable or successful or to accomplish our dreams but to glorify him. And we do that by living in complete childlike dependence on his mercy and grace to give us everything that is good for us. How does this happen? It happens as we walk the way of the word. So we get saved, we are holy, we are blameless, we are freed from the penalty of sin, okay, that's being justified. And then in the walk we walk, God saves us as we live in obedience to his word from the power of sin Because what we know is that glorious future when we will be like Christ, justified, made holy, glorified in his presence, where we will no longer have the presence of sin anywhere around us. This walk we walk is called progressive holiness. It's the effect of being obedient to the word. And that's what we're talking about right here. It's a daily walk. There's no shortcuts. It's a daily walk growing in Christian maturity. How much we obey scripture will determine how much we experience God's blessing. It's 
quite sobering, isn't it? It's what James talks about, as in Bible James, um, in James 1, 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. But when he looks, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, freedom and perseveres, being no hearer that forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's reiterated continually. Let us be doers of the word. And it's not about being legalistic. Got good news for us this morning. It's only possible to be a doer of the word because of the Holy Spirit alive and at work in you. The power of the Spirit alive in you. Grace is not just the pardon that passes over our bad stuff. It's the power at work in us that produces our good stuff. So this is not about being legalistic. It's only possible because of the presence of the power of God's Spirit in us. And it's not about begrudging obedience. A bit like when I say to my kids, come on kids, clear the table. You know, feet dragging and arms drooping. Or can you tidy your room? It's a begrudged obedience that they give me. No, we're going to move on to the next eight verses now and see that this is about delighting. And delighting in such a way that it overcomes our distractions and it overcomes disobedience. So let's, uh, let's read through those next eight verses. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. I have stored up the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much in all riches. Wow. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You see, he talks twice there about delighting. This psalmist is moved by the word of God. Later on, in um, verse 103, he tells God, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey it to my mouth. And verse 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. There's a longing there. That he's moved by the word. We can never reduce our relationship to God or to reading his word to this idea of dutiful obedience, begrudging obedience. Really, over and over and over again, what we hear in these Psalms is that this is a matter of what we love, what we delight in. That's what our faith is a matter of. And what we delight in, as we've heard, we'll inherit forever. Now, a few years ago, I realized I didn't really have much desire to read the Bible. And I didn't do it very much because when we desire to do something, we tend to do it. So I didn't have a huge amount of desire. And these verses felt alien to me. I did spend more time probably looking at emails and other books. I like detective novels and magazines, food magazines, Facebook. And I recognized that there was something wrong and I got quite frustrated. Why did I desire and prioritize so easily the things that benefit me the least? I was like, what is wrong with me? And I started to pray that God would give me more of a hunger for his word. And that was a good prayer to pray. But there is something I hadn't fully grasped. Because I was praying for the desire for the word. And God was gracious and he answers that prayer. 
It's time in the word that shapes your desires. And it shapes your hungers. You see, as we read and meditate on God's word, supernatural things happen. It can actually reorder our disordered affections. My affections are so often disordered. I prioritize and love the things that don't benefit me, that aren't good for me. How do I sort that out? Oh, God's given me everything that I need. His word. Time in it reorders the disordered affections that I have. Praying is a great way to start if you don't have an appetite for the word. God responds to our prayers and the Holy Spirit can do a word work, but also pray the word of God. In Psalm 119, this became a real prayer for me. Verse 36 and 37 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies. You're praying scripture when you say, God, incline my heart to your word. Change my heart, not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life according to your word. It's like a mantra. I needed it every day. I needed it blue tacked to my mirror in the morning. I needed it blue tacked to my fridge, my phone. It's that word of God that gets into us and changes us. And it's only the word of God brought to life by the spirit that has the power to change our hearts. We get changed from the inside out. And I read this and prayed with the psalmist quite regularly. Oh God, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Curb my appetite for distraction. I'm so prone to distraction. God, change my heart. Enter into my desires. Give me life according to the treasure that is your word. Holy Spirit, help me to stop fixing my eyes on things and giving my attention to things that don't benefit my soul. Help me treasure your revealed will more than I treasure anything else. Psalmist says he can do that. He says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much in all riches. Oh, I want that to be my testimony. I want that to be my prayer. See, the word isn't primarily about delivering you information. It's about transformation. It reorders us, helps us to be obedient, helps us to say no to ungodliness like Jesus did. When faced with temptation in the wilderness, what did he say? It is written. He, he, he was able to, to fight the, the darts, fiery darts of the enemy with the word of God. It is written. No, it is written. No, it is written. And that's how we need to walk too. No, it is written. It's amazing. We walk the way Jesus has walked. See, when scripture, it says, when scripture stored in our heart, I will not sin against you. When scripture's in our mind, like you've learnt it, the Holy Spirit can take it and bring it to attention when we need it most. So memorization. Not just for Sunday school, and it's not our Christian equivalent of being martyred. Um, memorization has value. And um, this person called Griffith said this, and it made so much sense. He says, as a reader memorizes a text, he becomes textualized. What that means is he embodies the work that he's committed to memory. So a memorized work, so I don't know if you had to learn a poem at school or you've memorized something else, but when you memorize something and it's kind of in here, like a lover or a friend, a spouse, a child, it's entered into the fabric of your being into your intellectual and emotional life, and therefore it has deep claims on you. So that you can only ignore that memorized work with deliberate effort. That's why we need to get the word of God into us. 
I also had someone describing it as this. When we read the word of God and when we get it into us and we learn it, it's like implanting a radioactive speck from the mind of God into our finite minds, into our finite brains. And as we learn it by heart, it descends into the hidden crevices of our heart and our souls. And then it can send out waves of influence. It can send out therapeutic waves of influence. If it's in us, it shapes us. And it's more than just reading is what I'm getting at. It's the image of Ezekiel eating the scroll, ingesting his word for nourishment. We can become what we behold then. We behold it. It's in us. We're looking at it. We're gazing upon it. Our eyes are no longer on worthless things. We're gazing upon Christ. And we become conformed into the image of him. It's how God's power can make us holy progressively too. Now, Jesus had some stuff to say about this. In John 8, he said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this psalmist kind of prefigures or echoes that exact verse. In, in verse 32, he says, I will run love that we got a song about running I will run in the way of your commandments for and some he says you enlarge my heart but some translations have it that you have set my heart free there's a freedom to this delighting leads to obedience and freedom so when we're talking about freedom there is a path to true freedom and it's a walk to freedom following the way Jesus has walked walking in the word So there's a correlation between obedience and abiding. And there's also, we can't ignore it, a direct correlation. We've been hearing it over the last few weeks between the degree to which our minds are shaped by Scripture because it's in us and the degree to which our prayers are answered. So listen to this. This is Jesus again in John 15. If you abide in me, so he's talking about abiding again, spending time with him in his word, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's what we're talking about, about memorising, getting it into us, ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It's talking about obedience. Can't obey something you don't know. Like my kids can't like obey me unless they know what the, the rules are. Like they, they can't obey me unless they know what my will is. We need to know. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. That's incredible. This walk that we walk is not begrudged obedience. This is a walk we walk in freedom with full joy. So the way of the word, as outlined in this psalm, is the way of blessing and deep joy and prayer. The word teaches us to pray because it's the word of God in us that moves the Father to act. Heard this, um, DM McIntyre said this, God only answers petitions that his son has had a hand in forming. Yeah, Wow. I mean, we've heard these verses in previous weeks, but John 14, again, Jesus, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, 
that the, glorif- the Son may, Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the confidence that we can have as we pray the word of God back to God in prayer. 1 John 5, 14 to 15, and says, this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. This is, this is good news for us. This can revolutionise our prayer life. If you find your prayers are ineffective, if you find you don't really have vocabulary to use in your prayers, you kind of pray the same things. The answer is the word. Like when you get into the word, it gives you more vocabulary for your prayer life. It gives you new things to, to hold on to God for. What, this is a promise? Wow, I am claiming that promise and I am praying, God, come on, like bring it. We, we've got the word for that. You know, and I just felt in worship earlier, just I hadn't written this down, but this is not just for our sake. You know, we are not, we're just talking about being, being blessed here for our sake. We are a people, a blessed people. We heard that. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, and we are blessed. For what? To be a blessing, to be a blessing. So you can't be a blessing until you are blessed, and you can't be blessed until what we're saying is walking in the way of the word. Because if it's in you, it comes out. If it's in you, if you're reading his words and you're being conformed into the image of Christ, then more and more you are becoming his hands and his feet, right? We are blessed to be a blessing. I'm just going to finish with what um, might seem obvious for a few people, but I just felt I wanted to do it, just about praying the word. Some people have asked me over the years, how do you pray the word? How do you? And this is a really good way of getting it into you, is to pray it back to God. Um, so if we want to have a heart for the nations, if we want to have God's heart, we need the word in us. And here are some, some just practical ways. There might be a table that comes up at some point. Um, but scripture as a whole usually tells us something about who God is. Okay, so first thing, something about who God is. And therefore, if we're going to pray that back to God, our response is praise. So if it reveals something about who God is, you know, Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, we respond in prayer by praising God, exalting him. Sometimes we read stuff and it will say about what God has done um, for us. And what our response is, is to thank him. Thank him is an appropriate prayer response when we read about what God has done for us. Or if we actually struggle to believe that, our prayer response is, help me. Give me faith. Help me in my unbelief. Help me to believe this. Or sometimes we can read about something that God expects from us, like what we're reading today, about how we can grow in our holiness. And so our response, again, is supplication. It's, it's saying, that means help. Like, I need help. Holy Spirit, please help me. Sometimes we read stuff and we go, I have failed to do that. And so our response is confession and repentance. I'm so sorry. As I read this, I see that I have not done this. Thank you for your forgiveness. All scripture, all of it, naturally lends itself to prayerful response from us. I'm just going to do a simple illustration for us, if you don't mind, just with one verse um, in Colossians 2. So Colossians 2, verse um, 5 says, Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's just one verse. But most of the elements that we've just looked at can be prayed from this. 
This is some example. You can start off by going, Jesus, you are the Christ. That scripture reveals something about who Jesus is. You are the Christ. We praise you because you are the anointed one, the saviour, the redeemer, and you are Lord. You are Lord. All authority on earth and in heaven belongs to you. You rule and you reign with all power and in you all things hold together. But you are not just the Lord, you are my Lord. I thank you that I have received you. My life is now caught up in your purposes. I have your presence with me. Not because I've done anything good, but because you have loved me. I have received you. Now, Jesus, help me to walk. Help me to walk and follow you faithfully. Holy Spirit, help me to walk with you, in step with you. I'm so sorry for the times when I don't, when my eyes shift off you and onto myself, when I think about my glory more than your glory, when I become self-orientated rather than focused on other people. Amen. That's just an example. One verse, and you can draw all those things out of that one verse. And we pray the meaning of Scripture, not necessarily the words. So if you're reading a story like Esther, for example, you're not necessarily going to read those exact words as a prayer response back. You can pray the meaning back. Oh God, give me boldness like Esther. What courage she had. Give me such a courage to stand up for what is right. You're praying the meaning. But there are actually so many prayers in Scripture that you can literally just pray. There's so many in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, a lot of these Psalms, the Psalm 119, it's a prayer. So we can literally pray the, the words itself back to God. I think one practical thing, just closing now, that we can do this week is to, if you want a place to start, well, my rock, my refuge, if you really do want to get into this then, and you haven't, haven't got anything else lined up, that's a great place to start. You can also download our prayer app at newcom.church forward slash prayer. And that's a way for you to walk daily in prayer because it's based on scriptures. We're going to be writing some stuff on Psalm 119 and daily you can kind of reflect with us as a a body of believers um, and really hold on to the things we believe God's saying to us. John Piper said this about Bible reading. I'm just going to finish with it. He said, think of it, marvel at this, stand in awe of this. The God who keeps watch over the nations, like some people keep watch over cattle or stock markets or construction sites, this God still speaks in the 21st century. By this voice, he speaks with absolute truth and personal force. By this voice, he reveals his all-surpassing beauty. By this voice... He reveals the deepest secrets of our hearts. No voice anywhere, anytime can reach as high or lift us, take us as deep or carry as far as the voice of God that we hear in the Bible. Why don't I read it more? I'd like us to just spend a moment or two reflecting as a response on verse 17 and 18 the next two verses that follow. Deal bountifully with your servant. If you have a stirring in you this morning to have more more of a love, more of a delight in the word of God, if you've got a stirring in you this morning for holiness and obedience to the word, pray this in your heart. This is heard in heaven. The Holy Spirit is responding. This is his will for us because we are his children. Deal bountifully with your servant. 
that I may live and keep your word. Open our eyes, God, that we may behold wondrous things in your word.